Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're beginning a new series today in the book of Luke, a series entitled A Firm Grip on the Gospel. So let's turn to Luke 2 to 6 as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled Gaining Certainty. There is a line in the beginning of the book of Luke that tells the reader why he or she should keep reading, and here's why. The book of Luke at the outset indicates that it's a book that was written to one man, man we actually know nothing about. His name was Theophilus, and Luke calls him the most excellent Theophilus, which would indicate he's a man of standing, and some suggest he must have been a governor of some sort. And we can say with certainty that he was either a Christian or he had gained a great deal of knowledge of the Christian faith to make him quite conversant in it. Now, this form of address, to to write an influential ruler, that, that was not unusual in the ancient world. You know, as an example, when the Jewish historian Josephus begins one of his works, here's what he says. In my history of our antiquities, most excellent Epaphrodites, I have, I believe, made sufficiently clear to any who may peruse that work, the antiquity of the Jewish race. Well, then he goes on to say that this is done to correct the errors of those who've tried to discredit the history of the Jews, and it's written to a governor. You know, if we fast forward to the time of the Reformation, it's interesting that John Calvin, in his famous work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, writes it to the king of France so that the king, who was an avid Roman Catholic, might know exactly what these Protestants in his realm actually believe. You see, the approach that we find in the outset of Luke is a very common approach. Because rulers were to govern people, it was thought they needed to know all about the people they governed, and so Any educated person who represented that group of people could write the ruler explaining who they were, how they acted, the customs they had, what they believed, as well as special needs that they might have. And so it seems that Luke addresses this man, most excellent Theophilus, and then says that he writes him so that he might have certainty concerning the things he has been taught. But how on the basis of what we'll find in the book of Luke, how should Theophilus gain certainty concerning whatever it is that he had been taught about Jesus? Well, whoever Theophilus was, he most certainly was a contemporary of Jesus. Luke, and I'll come to this, most certainly writes his book in the very early AD 60s, probably the year AD 62. And so it's only been 30 years since the time Jesus died and rose. And Theophilus would have, we would think, as an interested governor, had a great deal of information about Jesus as well as about his followers. And Luke wants Theophilus to have a firm grasp on what is true. Again, how does Luke give certainty as to what is true and what might simply be a myth and a rumor? Well, Luke explains that. He does that by presenting Theophilus with his credentials. Luke explains his method. Many, he says, have undertaken to compile a narrative of Jesus, or in his words, the things that have been accomplished among us. So stop there and ask, who are these people who compiled a narrative of Jesus? Well, for one, we'd have to argue that Mark had already completed his gospel. I mean, perhaps Luke's referring to that. Mark would have completed the book of Mark somewhere in the mid-80s, 50s, and so at the very least, Mark would have been in circulation for more than five years before Luke actually wrote. Now, let me tell you something about the book of Mark. 
The year is AD 120, and a Christian bishop by the name of Papias tells us that Peter passed on reports of the words and deeds of Jesus to his writer, who was John Mark, the writer of the book of Mark. So in effect, what the book of Mark is then is the eyewitness testimony of Peter written down by his secretary, who was Mark. All right, so clearly the book of Mark is in circulation by the time Luke finishes his book to Theophilus. Well, what else? Well, it also seems quite likely that Matthew had completed his book before Luke did, and so it's also quite likely that both Peter and Matthew had left already an account of Jesus. But these two, well, that seems different from what Luke reports. He says, many have written. So who are the many? Well, it seems to me, and a great many scholars have argued persuasively for this, that there is either a Hebrew or an Aramaic source that underlies the nativity narrative of Jesus from which Luke draws. And I, for myself, have thought that all of the 12 had a written Aramaic copy of notes of the things that were accomplished by Jesus. And I have theorized that Matthew himself might have been the author of these notes, although, of course, it's only a theory. But when reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it seems that all three of them draw from some written source. And so it seems to me that the many might well refer to the notes that were possessed by the 12 apostles of Jesus. And so when Luke writes to Theophilus, he's telling this official that he has meticulously reviewed all the sources that are out there, as well as his own work of interviewing key eyewitnesses and putting all this information together in an orderly fashion. And that gets us back to the theme of gaining certainty in the things that we have been taught. See, in our day, that's really important. It's important because in the words of the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth, he was concerned about this very thing. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough, says Paul. Now you want to contemplate that. So let's date the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to the year A.D. 33. And then Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, A.D. 55, just 22 years after Jesus. And already at that time, people are trading in errors and rumors about the stories of Jesus. People needed certainty. That wasn't just true of Christians who lived 20 years after Jesus. It's true for people who live 2,000 years after Jesus. See, I find it fascinating that a number of years ago now, you know, people were trading in these what they were calling secret gospels of Jesus. And they asked, well, how come these things were suppressed? You know, the idea behind that was that, you know, these are all legitimate accounts of Jesus and they're equal in authority to the ones we find in the Bible. But somehow the powerful leaders in the church were able to suppress these legitimate stories because they didn't fit the narrative. Now, of course... Anyone who took the time to investigate these supposed secret gospels soon discovered that these so-called gospels were written hundreds of years after Christ, and they're not based on legitimate eyewitness testimony at all. Instead, a great many of them tried to paint a picture of Jesus as someone who would fit within the then popular philosophy of Gnosticism. So I like to say that's roughly akin to reading a book today entitled 
Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter, and then conclude that all the historians have conspired together to suppress that legitimate account of Abraham Lincoln as a vampire hunter. See what I'm saying? So let's get back to Luke and addressing the most excellent Theophilus, telling him he wants to make sure that Theophilus has certainty regarding the things he's been taught. So how can Luke assure Theophilus that the things he's writing him are facts rather than rumors? So let's read Luke 1, 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Notice Luke's claim. He doesn't claim to be an eyewitness of Jesus, but he does claim that he had access to the eyewitnesses, that he interviewed them, and he wrote down what they told him. And by the way, when we read the book of Luke, we certainly get that impression. Luke, for instance, Luke 1, 46 to 55, records at length what Mary said after she met her relative Elizabeth. I mean, none of the other gospels include that, but Luke does because he took the time to interview Mary and he heard from her mouth what she actually said. And that's why in the book of Luke, one tends to read these personal stories of what people actually said. It's because Luke has been interviewing, and that's what he tells Theophilus. In short, Luke is doing that which any trustworthy and competent historian would do. And so for us today, that's what we get when we read the book of Luke, something well-researched. So who's the man Luke? We know from his later book, that's the book of Acts, that he was a colleague and a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. On a number of occasions in Acts, we have what are called the we sections, where Luke doesn't just describe what happened, but he includes himself in the action because he was personally there. And we also know that according to Colossians 4 verse 14, Paul calls him Luke the beloved physician. According to the later Christian historian Eusebius, he says Luke was by race an Antiochian, and he affirms that he was indeed a physician by trade. He was also a meticulous note-taker. Theology isn't just for pastors and Bible experts. It's for everyone seeking to better understand the God of the Bible and the depth of His love for us. And one of the most mysterious, intriguing, and life-changing doctrines is that of God's providence. Once you grasp the reality that God is actively directing all aspects of your life, your faith will be revolutionized. To that end, we're excited to share that this month, Back to the Bible Canada is offering Dr. John's new book, called In All Things, God's Providence at a special introductory price of only $5. Or for the very first time, you'll be able to digitally download the entire book for free at backtothebible.ca. But you'll want to act now because after this month, the book will only be available at its regular price of $17.99 or downloadable for $3.99. So order your copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Luke is the only Gentile who wrote a Bible book. In fact, he wrote two Bible books. 
He's well-educated. He was not an eyewitness of Jesus. He was a meticulous historian who took notes from interviews and put them in an orderly fashion. And he was a follower of Jesus. We've established that the book of Luke comes from the hand of a competent and meticulous historian. He's interested in orderly account as well as an accurate account. But to whom was the book written? Yeah, of course, it's written to Theophilus. But we should have guessed by this time that it was also intended for a wider publication, a wider reading audience. We might say that in contrast to Matthew and Mark, Luke is clearly writing with a Gentile audience in mind. And we know that because we can see that he takes pains to explain things that Jews would not have needed an explanation for. So, for instance, in chapter 1, when he describes the priesthood of Zechariah, He says the man was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood. No Jew needed an explanation of that, but Gentiles did. Or think even that when Luke introduces Mary, he tells his readers she was from a city in Galilee named Nazareth. I mean, just a little geographical detail to be sure, but it's an explanation to someone who has never been there. But there's something else that unless you mention it, you might miss it. When Luke presents Jesus, he does so by presenting him not as Matthew does as the Messiah and the fulfillment of the hopes of Israel. Now, of course, Luke mentions that. He believes that. It's clear from his book. But it's a matter of emphasis. Luke emphasizes the humanity of Jesus and more than any other gospel writer constantly refers to Jesus as the Son of Man. And we can see that in his book. He, more than the others, describes Jesus' childhood, describing him as fully man even while he's sinless. And Luke records more about Jesus praying than the others do. He emphasized more than the others the place of women in the ministry of Jesus. He also emphasizes Jesus' compassion on the poor. And Luke, more than the others, emphasizes Jesus' dependence on the Holy Spirit. But I suppose what strikes me the most about reading Luke is that he, more than any of the others, presents us with the most chronological account of Jesus. See, those of you who are familiar with Matthew see that often Matthew has little interest in a chronological account. Matthew presents us with a more thematic account. He arranges the material of the life of Jesus and he categorizes it into a series of themes. So imagine Matthew saying as, okay, when it comes to, you know, this issue, let me put together from the life of Jesus, all of the events where Jesus spoke to that in one category or in one chapter. But Luke is different. He comes the closest to something that most of us are very familiar with. He seems to be writing a biography as we understand that term. Now, not entirely because we know there's scant information about Jesus' childhood, But the material of Luke is in chronological order. And that's part of the reason why Luke wrote. He writes to the Gentile world. He explains Jesus in terms they understand best while remaining accurate to what was done. That is, he doesn't reinterpret Jesus to make him more palatable to the Gentile mind. Rather, he explains Jesus so that the Gentile mind might understand him. Have you ever watched a Hollywood movie about some historical event? Well, if you have, let me make a statement that's almost always true of what you'll learn about history from the movies. No matter how Hollywood portrays history, be sure of this, what they portray didn't actually happen. 
On the other hand, those of you who are historians have an interest in history. You might have read some very thorough, scholarly, and complex books about historical events, and you know that the scholar who writes them is not writing for the general public. And so while it might be well-researched, it's not made available to the common person. And Luke avoids both of these. His gospel is readable. Anybody with an interest in the greatest moment in all of history will be able to both access it and read it. You know, Luke is the longest of the four gospels. You can get through it without technical tools. It's for the public. It's not a Hollywood movie. It's someone who did the research and is presenting us with the story of what actually happened. Now, this would be an appropriate time to outline the book, and so doing, outline the life of Jesus. And I need to say to my listeners that I'm not going to complete the entire book of Luke in the four weeks that I take for this study. Because on previous occasions, that is at Christmas time, I've also given myself to studying the first two chapters of Luke, and I'm not going to repeat that work here either. If you're interested in that, simply go to our archive at Back to the Bible Canada. But for our purposes, I'll be covering Luke chapter 2, verse 42, on to the end of Luke chapter 6. And of course, that's only a part of the whole book. The whole book is 24 chapters. We can, I think, however, outline this book and place it into four sections. First section covers everything from the birth of Jesus until the time he's 12 years old. Just two chapters on that. The second section from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 9, verse 50, Luke deals primarily with Jesus ministering in Galilee. That's the early part of his ministry. And then once we get beyond the ministry of Galilee, the third section, chapter 951, all the way to chapter 19, verse 27, Luke presents Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's going there to suffer and die and to be raised from the dead and to be glorified. Now the last fourth section, Jesus is entering Jerusalem on that fateful one week that changed the world. And there Luke presents Jesus as entering into Jerusalem, leading to his suffering and his death and his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Now I think that's a simple outline. It's really, that's the outline of the book. It's straightforward, it's easy to follow, it makes sense, and it actually tells us what happened in the ministry of Jesus. Scholars have pointed out that the style of writing in Luke is not uniform. So why is that? Well, at the beginning of the book, we notice that when Luke addresses the most excellent Theophilus, well, he's doing that using what might be considered as a formal and classical form of Greek. But as one goes through the book, all manner of times, the classical style of Greek is abandoned. And that's because in Luke, we find so many different subjects that demand different styles. Luke tells us of the announcement stories of the birth of Jesus, and then he recounts hymns of praise of what people actually said. Well, those people didn't say those things in the Greek language. So Luke is translating from Hebrew or probably Aramaic what others said, and he's communicating that in Greek. And I could give more examples, but I think you get the point. As Luke moves through the various events of the life of Jesus, he's trying to communicate it as honestly as possible, given that he's translating everything that was said. That is, if all that Luke was doing was giving an account of Jesus in a style that Greeks would appreciate, well, he would use one style throughout the book. Well, let me give you an example. Going back to my earlier example of Hollywood movies that pretend to tell the story of something that happened in history. 
Usually when Hollywood does that, they communicate the story using a worldview that's familiar to the listener. See, here's an example. If Hollywood made a movie about Abraham Lincoln, well, I can promise you Mr. Lincoln would come off as a contemporary and not like a man from the 19th century. Luke, on the other hand, has no interest in portraying Jesus as a Greek or a Roman hero. That won't do because Luke wouldn't be faithful to the real person. And so for all of those reasons, Luke tells this man, the most excellent Theophilus, that he can gain certainty about the things that Jesus did, who he was, what he taught, and the impact he made in a way that is consistent with what actually happened. And that explains the different styles. Luke is not giving one style. Rather, he is accurately communicating the style of the language of the people who actually said and did the things that they did. And of course, his emphasis is on Jesus himself. And of course, it's not just the most excellent Theophilus who would gain a measure of certainty from that kind of a book. We do as well. You see, instead of trading in rumors as to what Jesus might have said or what he might have taught or who he might have been or or what the latest journalist or philosopher or preacher might have said about Jesus, rather than doing any of that, why not listen to the actual people who encountered Jesus? And Luke has made sure that we forever after that will hear these people speak in their own voices. That's how we gain certainty regarding the things we've been taught. Thanks so much, Dr. John. Looking forward to this series in the book of Luke. Let me begin with this question, though. How do we know for certainty that what Luke has written is in fact true and is the gospel? Well, I think one of the things that we can say is that what Luke wrote comports with those who were eyewitnesses. So whenever we can test Luke, we can see that he is in fact accurate. The other thing that we know about Luke is that he has spent his time as a researcher, as a historian, who does the work that we all depend upon historians to do, that is to interview anyone who is an eyewitness. And so he really carries the task of a good researcher which is what we actually look for, and it gives us a great deal of confidence that what we have in the book of Luke is in fact genuine history. It's what happened. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Firm Grip on the Gospel, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. I simply can't enter into the new year without expressing the entire ministry team's gratitude and awe for your exceptional display of generosity towards the Back to the Bible Canada year-end campaign. Your gifts, no matter the size, your prayers and encouragement, thank you for your partnership. It's critical in making this ministry possible. And it does so much to sustain and supply thousands of people with accessible, trustworthy Bible teaching. We understand that these are difficult financial times for many, which only makes the depth of our gratitude that much more profound. I've said it before, but I cannot express it enough that this ministry would not exist without your partnership. So again, thank you and Happy New Year. 
On behalf of the whole team here at Back to the Bible Canada, we pray that this year you will be blessed with a lasting joy and peace that only comes from knowing and placing your trust in our gracious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.